1: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revs snapped a 284 day winless streak last night with a 1 0 win over the Montreal Impact to open the MLS's back tournament. Gustavo Bo was the game's lone goal scorer, and Matt Turner provided two massive saves, including one in stoppage time, to preserve the victory for the Revs. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today is Sean Donahue. Sean, how's it going?
0: And it's exciting to finally have a podcast where we're actually talking about a game. It's been, well, I guess it's been four months, but it feels like a lot more than that. So uh, I'm just excited to have a a game to analyze.
1: Yeah, it feels like 284 uh, days since we've had a soccer game to actually talk about. Um, But I guess it's only been about four months. uh, And it's been about four months since the last time we talked about a Montreal New England game, too. So Sean, obviously this one's a bit of a different result, uh, getting our vengeance for the loss in Montreal uh, and Olympic Stadium last March, and uh, now drawing the maple syrup derby standings to one and one. What was your key takeaway from this match?
0: Yeah, and, you know, talking about that last game, honestly, you could argue that this is a, is a better Montreal team now with, with Winyama in the lineup. Um, of, of course, the formation's a bit weird, and I think you're going to talk about that a little bit more later. Uh, but, you know, he he's a key player for Montreal that wasn't there last time the Revs played. A uh, huge player, a guy that, you know, played in the Premier League. Uh, so, you know, my key takeaway from this game, and, and I think, to be honest, was was probably my key takeaway last time we talked about a game, uh, four months ago, and that was with uh, Carley's heel not playing. Um, of course, he missed the first two Revolution games of the year with an injury. And you know, back then, I thought the Revolution's attack was was really missing him. And you know, you couldn't have more of a sign of it than what we saw in this game when Carley's heel, you know, back in that playmaker's role, had 12 chances created, which, um, as as Opta told us. Uh, was the most of a revolution player since they started keeping that stat. And also Carles heels, 12 chances created were more than every other player on the field combined. Uh, everybody on the revs in Montreal, other than Carles heel created 11 chances. So I, I don't think you can say much more than that to, to show the impact that Carles Heal had on the new England revolution in this game, uh, set up Gustavo Bo's goal probably should have had several other assists and, you know, just was all over the pitch with creating chances. You can't deny how good of a player Carl heel is for this Revolution team. And, you know, watching a game like this and, and going back and kind of watching the games the Revolution had earlier in the year, what a difference it makes to have him out there. I think he also helped the Revs tremendously, you know, keeping possession. Um, that was just something they struggled earlier in the year. I actually was surprised at the end of the game to see the Revolution didn't have the majority of the possession. The Revs actually only had forty four percent possession in this game. Kind of surprising given the flow of the game, but it was it, kind of to put that in context. If you look at how the game played out, uh, the Revolution led. If you you know divide the game into five minute chunks, the Revolution. Led possession in 12 of 18 five-minute chunks. And the the real thing that skewed this year was the Revolution started off the second half really poorly, and Montreal had 93% possession for the first five minutes of the second half. But other than that, you know, the Revolution, I thought, were the better team on the night, and, and Carles heel uh, was a huge part of that and certainly a very huge part of the Revolution's offense um, and what we thought was kind of an interesting lineup decision. But I think you're going to talk more about that. Uh, but, you know, my key takeaway was definitely that Carles heel is a a huge part of the Revolution team and uh, that the Revolution need him to be on the field to you know, have the level of success they want to have and actually be you know, a, a good playoff team to compete for a cup.
1: Yeah, and you compare and contrast that to the Montreal game where Gustavo Bo was kind of the playmaker, and uh, memory's not serving me great here, but I think he had five chances created in that game, and I think three or four of them were from set pieces, and he only had one or two from open play. Carlos Heel had 12 chances, as you mentioned, five of them from set pieces, seven from open play, um, and... With those 12 chances, by the way, he is now tied for the league lead in chances created, which considers games back from uh, March and April. So in one game, he's already uh, brought himself to uh, the top of the leaderboard alongside Gustavo Bowe. Uh Overall, other stats for Carly's on the night, he was 54 for 63 passing, that's 86%, That's amazing for uh, an attacking player. 26 for 33 in the attacking third, that's 79%. He had more completed passes in the attacking third than anyone else on the field had pass attempts in the uh, attacking third. Obviously, he had that one assist. Uh, he also had three shots, one on target, which was a near goal. Uh, so he, he was really all over the place, and I think he was hands down uh, the man of the match and really shows how important he is to this team when you look back on that Montreal game and how much more dangerous uh, and how much more in control the Revs were in this game. Going to my key takeaway, is just that Bruce Arena is a genius uh, and I'm never going to question him ever again when I see a lineup that looks incredibly bizarre to me. I was very confused when this lineup came out. I was really surprised not to see Henry Kessler start at center back. I was very concerned not to see Wilfred Zahibo as one of the central midfielders, uh, but as the game played out, it seemed like Bruce Arena had pulled the correct strings uh, and just tactically really outsmarted Terry Henry on, on every single level here. Rowan Caldwell did a great job in the midfield. Um, they did a great job moving the ball. They rarely turned the ball over. I thought Brandon by pushing him up kind of on that right wing. We'll talk about that a little bit later um, where he, he was kind of sitting most of the night seemed to have a uh, very positive effect uh, and and really kept Montreal on the back foot. Uh, And then the center back pairing of Mancien and, and De La Mea overall was, I mean, spectacular. There wasn't a whole lot of testing. There was one issue with Mancien, uh, in the game there. But outside of that, outside of that one little blip by Michael Mancien, there really wasn't a lot of issues from that center back pairing, who I, I think a lot of people consider the third and fourth best center backs on the team. So overall, I, I thought it was a little strange of a lineup. I was disappointed there was no Henry Kessler. I think Henry Kessler might be the best center back on the team. Uh, and I would have liked to have seen the substitutions sooner. Um, you know, Bruce Arena has five subs. We didn't get any subs until the 67th minute. Uh, and that was due to a cramp when Mancien came off. His, the second sub came in the 81st minute, and then the last two came in the 86th minute. Uh, the substitution pattern worked out, uh, so I, I guess I cannot complain. Uh, and the lineup worked out, so I guess I can't complain. But um, Bruce Arena played this game very, very differently than I would have, and it worked out perfectly.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think both of us, when we saw this lineup, were kind of shocked by the the central midfield pairing in particular. Like I was saying earlier, you know. Victor Wanyama is a you know great imposing central midfield player that Montreal Impact have brought in, and when you see guys like you know Caldwell and Rowe as being kind of the the counterpart to a guy like that, you know two guys that are you know five foot eight and, and very undersized for the position, you know led to me having a lot of questions about how that would play out you know, I was concerned that the revolution would, would struggle in the air in particular, you know, and as it turns out, the revolution actually won 64% of the aerial duels. So, you know, and the two of them, I think were among the best passers on the revolution in this game, uh, percentage wise and, and overall did a very good job. I think there's, there's some fault for Kellen Rose playing in that. I think the the two best chances that Montreal had, both came off of kind of sloppy turnovers from Kellen Rowe. But if you ignore that and, It's kind of hard to ignore that because those were two key plays. Uh, I thought he had overall had a very good, very good game. 88.2% passing Scott Caldwell, 93.8% passing and the two of them, You know, we're pretty influential in this game. You know, a lot of touches, 62 for Kellen Rowe, 59 for Scott Caldwell. But I was very surprised to see those two guys start. um, And I was very surprised to see those two guys go 90 minutes. And I was also very surprised to see Michael Mancian out there. And, you know, how often do we see Michael Mancian get hurt? And, of course, in this game, he pulled up cramping and had to be subbed out. So we'll we'll see what happens in the next game. But, you know, I, I thought he had a decent game, too, all things considered. So a lot of questionable lineup decisions by Bruce Arena. But, they seem to work out. Uh, but with that said, I do agree with you that I would have liked to have seen some subs in this game sooner. Like you said, the, the first sub that happened was a fourth sub for Manciana in the 66th minute. Um, and, you know, after that, it took until the 80th minute for them to make another sub. This was one of those games where you, you would have thought a guy like Dewan Jones, who ended up coming in um, as a left back, in the 80th minute, could have come in sooner, perhaps as an attacking player for, you know, a guy like Christian Panea or something and, and run really tired legs to cause a lot of problems. Or Teal Bunbury, who came in the 85th minute, could have you know taken that role, too. But both of those guys, they took a long time for them to come out there. And, you, you know, you know, coming into a game where you haven't played a competitive match in, in four months that a lot of guys aren't going to be 90 minutes fit. So I think it was pretty disappointing To kind of not see subs are pretty surprising to not see subs sooner than we did given the 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 hot temperatures in Florida and given the difficult situation So yeah, a lot of a lot of question marks, but the revolution played really well So it's hard to it's hard to question the end result and you wonder too if especially
1: with Caldwell and Rowe I was expecting to see them come off a lot sooner and you wonder if the game played out yeah. and Rowe and Caldwell did so well if Bruce Arena just kept riding it out. Kellen Rowe, I know, only went four games last year where he played all 90 minutes. Two of them were against the Revs. One, he was playing with Kansas City. One, he was playing with Salt Lake. Um, I didn't do the math on Scott Caldwell, but he obviously didn't have many games going 90 minutes last year either. So I think both of them who I think a lot of people expected to be role players, kind of some depth pieces off of the bench, both of them going 90 minutes, both of them putting in a very, very good effort. I just want to go through some stats too, um, some of it which will be a repeat from you, Sean, but I think it's worth noting. Caldwell, 58 for 48 passing, 94%, six for seven in the attacking third, two chances created, including one very, very uh, near assist. It was a long ball over the top to Gustavo. Bo. It was the one where Diop was out in the middle of nowhere and Bo chipped it just wide. That really should have been an assist. Uh, Bo really should have finished that one Uh, Caldwell also with eight ball recoveries tied for the game high with Kellen Rowe two for three on tackles same with Kellen Rowe two interceptions same with Kellen Rowe Um, and Kellen Rowe as you said 45 for 51 passing 88 percent seven for 12 in the attacking third Um, eight ball recoveries no dispossessions two for three on tackles two interceptions like I just said so both of those guys were very very influential players and they both turned in a great performance and I wouldn't be shocked to see a little bit more of them throughout the tournament back to and, and to the center pairing too also, did a great job in possession with passing. Mancien, 31 for 33 passing. De La Mea, 31 for 34 passing. Mancien was 3 for 3 on clearances. De La Mea was 4 for 4 on clearances. De La Mea also had four tackles and a block shot. Mancien had two blocks. Um, you know, for the third and fourth center back on this team, really, really good shift. So, all four of them putting in a, a very good argument to potentially get some more playing time in games two and three of this group stage later in the MLS's back tournament. Moving on to a guy making his debut, Alexander Butner. Sean, what was your first impression of Alexander Butner holding down that left back spot?
0: I thought he did really well. I mean, I'm also surprised that he went 80 minutes in this game as a guy that hadn't played a competitive match in, I think, years at this point. Um, but at least a year. Uh, but I thought he did really well. Very um, Very solid you know, there were times where maybe he could have played the ball a bit faster, but overall I thought it was a great performance and and something to build off of. And, you know, clearly showed he could contribute in this league. The one thing I I do want to say overall about this game, when we're talking about how, how well everyone played and and not to take away from what was a very good performance, but I I thought Montreal was pretty terrible. Um, So in in a lot of ways, it makes it hard for me to take away too much as far as lineup decisions going forward, because I I thought they were kind of surprisingly bad in this game for as good as the revolution were. Um, And, you know, I'm not sure that, that Booner was tested as much as you might have expected him to be, but with that said, when he was tested, I thought he did a really good job.
1: Yeah, I, I, well, I'll, I'll touch on Montreal in a second because I, 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 we're going to consider this from the revolution side, but there are a lot of things we could say about Montreal and, and how they came out for this game, but we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Booner, I thought, you know, if you take out Carly's heel and you know if you disqualify Carly's Heel for whatever reason for man of the match. I think Bootner should get some consideration there. He was very, very influential. He was 30 for 34, passing 88%, 7 for 10 in the attacking third, uh, 0 for 2 on crosses, but uh, seven ball recoveries, once dispossessed, four tackles, also suffered four fouls, none committed. He wasn't really tested a whole lot defensively. Um, there wasn't really a whole lot going down that right wing. Uh, as Seth uh, McComber from the Bet Musket will say, DeWan Jones was tested a lot down that right flank uh, in Montreal, and really there was nothing going down that right side for Montreal in this game. Um, which might be a credit to Boutner. Uh, It might be Montreal trying to overload the right side and just nothing really working. Either way, I thought this was a great first impression for Alexander Boutner. Uh, It's nice to have a left back, (laughs) finally, uh, after years and years of waiting. So uh, a very, very strong first impression overall. I do want to kind of touch upon Montreal, though. Um, Like you said, I don't know if you want to go into this one, but I I do remember Thierry Henry had a press conference earlier in the week, and he kind of said a lot of stuff like, we this is going to be a very hard game to assess tactically cuz usually you have friendlies you don't really know where your team is and all this stuff and you could kind of tell with Bruce Arena and the 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 lineup changes he made you know they were, they were questionable but they kind of made sense and as the game played out you kind of understood what they were going for with Montreal you know moving players around the field kind of going in in with that 5-4-1 Bojan was completely absent from this game, and they really didn't change anything throughout, throughout the game. They came out of the second half with more energy, but tactically didn't really do a whole lot different, and they didn't really have any answers. I, I think it really kind of showed the inexperience of Terry Henry compared to a guy like Bruce Arena, and it just seemed like the revolution, whether or not it was fitness, whether or not it was tactics, um, whether it was just being ready to play, or, or all of the above mentality or, or whatnot, um, I, I just think the revolution really outclassed Montreal in every phase of the game from tactics all the way down to the the little things on the field
0: yeah they did and honestly I think the revolution should have scored a lot more goals than they did it shouldn't have been as close of a game as it was there were a couple of key chances for Montreal where Montreal could have equalized and I think that would have been a a complete shame based on the revolution's performance because the only thing that was preventing this from being you know a blowout was just poor finishing from the revolution Um, I don't think the scoreline reflected how superior the revolution were to Montreal and as much again, as much as the, that was from a great performance from the Revolution, it was from you know disappointing performance from Montreal who you know, didn't look ready for this tournament, I thought, compared to the Revolution. And you know credit to Bruce Arena for having the guys ready. But yeah, M- Montreal and, and Thierry Henry, I'm not really sure uh, what he was thinking with some of those lineup decisions and you know, playing Samuel Piette where he played him. And uh, just just overall, that that lineup didn't make a lot of sense. And like you said, Bojan, who was you know, supposed to be a, a key player for Montreal, really was kind of invisible in this game.
1: They, they called his name, I think, early in the second half, and it was kind of like, oh yeah, boyan's out there. I mean, he, <laughs> he really wasn't um, much of a factor whatsoever. And yeah, I was going to mention Piet. you know, played very well in the central midfield um, as a defensive midfielder in that first game, moved out to right wing back. Um, which is a, a bit of an odd choice. And Broguillard, who you know I thought had a pretty good game on the right wing uh, against the Revolution the first game, uh, comes off the bench uh, and, and kind of takes over at right midfield. I thought maybe that would have been a better slot at right wing back. But regardless, we're looking at this from the Revolution perspective. We'll take the bad tactics. Thank you, Terry Henry. Moving back on, though, I, I want to get to two key players from this game. First, we'll start with Gustavo Bo, the lone goal scorer. We're about 20 minutes in, having gotten to the actual goal. Sean, what was your thoughts on Gustavo Bo on the night?
0: Well, oh, first of all, it was a phenomenal goal. Uh, you know good good job by Carles heel to get him the pass. But there was a lot of work left for him to do, um some fantastic skills to to get himself open and get off that you know fantastic shot into the upper corner. Really, no saving that from you know the top of the box. I thought Gustavo Bo, um actually, you know if you if you take the goal away and it's, it's hard it's hard to do that because the goal was so fantastic and a huge part of the game. Um, I thought he had kind of a mixed performance. Um he was very active. Um, he was getting himself into good position. His finishing, uh, was rusty. I think he, you know, could have had a hat trick in this game. Um, but also, you know, there were times when he looked really strong dribbling at guys and, there are other times when he was maybe a little overconfident and tried to dribble out of positions where he would have been better off passing. it. I think there was there was one point in the game where he kind of had his back to goal and he was maybe thirty five yards out and he had two defenders on him. And you know, rather than making a pass, he tried to dribble around in a circle and, and turn the ball over. And I, that happened a couple times in this game where you know he, he was a little bit too aggressive at trying to dribble at somebody and, and lost the ball. But uh, you know, o- overall, I thought you know, fantastic goal. Uh, Very active in the attack, but his shooting certainly showed rust other than that goal. I thought his shooting overall was pretty poor, Um, again, minus the one fantastic goal. And I thought some of his decision making in the attack could have been better.
1: Just go over Bo's stats, too. Uh, eight shots. Seven of them were outside of the box. The only shot from inside the box was that goal. Three of his shots were on target. Twenty-three, or sorry, 22 for 31 passing, which is 71%, including 13 for 20 in the attacking third, which is a 65% one chance created. Um, so overall, stats... Very positive for Gustavo Bo, But yeah, as, as you say, the tail of the tape is a little bit differently. Um, I thought that chip, uh, which was set up by Scott Caldwell, where Diop is way out in no man's land, really should have been a goal. The one thing I will give Gustavo Bo a little bit of credit for is that a few of those shots were with his left foot, including the goal. The goal was a rocket, uh, and that's his weak foot, uh, surprisingly. The chip also came off of his left foot, too, which... I guess I will give him a pass, but really that one should have been buried uh so yeah, I mean, this game should have been more than one to nothing and i I think you know, as great as that goal was, it really was a makeup for that chip. So, overall, I, I give positive marks to Gustavo Bo in the night. I, I do think he gets some sort of man, man of the match consideration, or if we're doing, you know, our three stars of the game, maybe rank him as the third star. But, you know, the, the one nice thing about Gustavo Bo is you know that if you give him a little bit of space and if you give him five or six chances to shoot, one of those is probably going to go in. If you told me before a game, doesn't matter the opponent, that Gustavo Bo is taking six shots my guess is that one of them is going in and gustavo Bo and and Carlos Hill both had a lot of space to work with both had a lot of time to work with and gustavo Bo got off eight shots and so even though some of them weren't that pretty as i say i think one of them was right at the keeper Uh, that was again with his left foot i I think montreal was forcing him onto his left foot a little bit more i think that was a bit tactic um but either way eventually he's going to fire off a rocket and he's going to find the back of the net
0: yeah and he also had that um That pass. I think he was kind of caught between a pass and a shot. I'm blanking out exactly when it was in the game where we had Booksa making a great run towards the far post. And whether it was attempt at a pass or attempt at a shot, it was both off target from a pass and off target from a shot because it was too far ahead for Booksa to get to and it wasn't on frame. But, you know, again, you, you love seeing him getting in the positions he's in. You love seeing him trying to take on defenders the way he does. Um, but there was definitely some rust in his game and he shook it off with that goal. And hopefully that's a sign of things to come, but you know, he was dispossessed four times. He, I think he attempted eight dribbles and three of them were unsuccessful. You know, he's not, you know, he's never going to be a hundred percent successful at dribbles, but I, you know, I, I thought he had a, a good game, a great goal, but certainly there was rest that showed he hadn't you know, played a competitive game in four months.
1: And one more thing too, while we're talking about Gustavo Bo's left foot, uh, Frank Delapa from the Boston Globe, noted today in his column that Gustavo Bo has 83 career goals and only six of them are left-footed. So even though Montreal is forcing it onto his weak foot, he's still that, it's still a weapon for him. Uh, moving on quickly to another guy that deserves a lot of praise and is a big big reason the revs took three points and not one point. Matt Turner. Um, Sean, I, I don't know how much we can elaborate, but how great is Matt Turner?
0: Yeah, just another phenomenal performance from him. And, and, you know, again, you talk about kind of the the Kellen Rowe turnovers. The guy that bailed him out was Matt Turner. Um, there was that one kind of point blank shot where it was more about him being in a good position and, and reacting quickly than making a sp- sp- spectacular diving save because the shot from Rudy wasn't that great. Uh, But then that last minute shot, you know, the 96th minute with really the last kick of the game that was curling towards the upper corner and seemed unstoppable. It seemed like it was destined to tie the game. And Matt Turner, just a fantastic reaction, save, amazing dive, managed to push that ball wide. Even when he got a hand to it, you thought it was still going in, but he he somehow managed to push it wide. Um, You know, he didn't have that much to do in this game because like we said, Montreal just wasn't very good. Uh, But he did have those two key moments and You know, sometimes when you're a goalkeeper and you have a game like that where you're not doing that much, that's when it's hardest to be ready to make those big saves. And he certainly was ready. And uh, even at that end of the game was right there to make that key save and make sure the revolution got three points. And another, you know, shining performance for Matt Turner um, to keep the revolution, get that shutout. you know, one for the highlight reels for him for sure.
1: Yeah. And and on that one late in the game, it's clear he is screened and he doesn't see that ball very clearly until the last minute because you can kind of see him moving to his right and the ball's curling to his left and he's able to completely change the entire momentum of his body to make that save just a really great performance. And it's, it's, I mean, he is an athlete uh, and he has great reaction time and great reflexes. Uh, just save two points on that last play. The one thing too, I will say is that you talked about that, uh, your, your save, um, I think it was an early in the second half there uh, that was off of the Kellen Rowe turnover. Um, I, I just want to say I, I, that was such an impactful save and I, I don't think that's going to get as much credit as it does. I think a lot of people are going to finish on the save and stoppage time, but that gameplay is completely different. If Montreal takes the lead early in the second half there, um, I mean, Montreal is able to bunker down um, which they seem to want to do anyway. They didn't, have a whole lot of offensive momentum going forward. So if they break the tie and if they go up one nothing, they can really bunker down and really continue to just try to uh, frustrate the revs and not let them in the box uh, and just keep uh, Gustavo Bo shooting from 20 to 25 yards out. So that, that save early on in the game, or I shouldn't say early on in the game, early in the second half there, to me outside of the goal is probably the moment of the game because the entire rest of the game plays out totally,
0: totally different uh, if Urudi scores I did want to say one more thing about Matt Turner too. Is you know, you talk about his saves, and you know, even though he wasn't that involved. Uh, other than some key saves, you look at his passing and he was, you know, through all all sorts of different passes, every type of pass available, he was 19 of 21. And, you know, over the years, we've kind of bashed some revolution goalkeepers for poor distribution. And and Matt Turner has had games where his distribution has let him down a little bit, but in in a game like this, where it's so hot and possession is so important, you know, that was another key aspect of his game that when he did get the ball, he didn't turn it over. So, you know, again, no shortage of praise for Matt Turner and what he did in this game.
1: And moving on to one guy who had a bit of a quiet night, uh, Adam Buxa, the third designated player, really held quiet, not as quiet as Bojan, but three shots from him, all of them headers from set pieces. He was nine for 10 passing. He did have one chance created on the Carlisle heel shot, and he had three clearances, also all of them headers. Sean, what were your thoughts on Adam Buxa?
0: Yeah, no, similar to your thoughts, he was he was pretty quiet in this game. I don't think they did enough to get him involved. A lot of the combination plays came from Carles Heel and Gustavo Bo, the two of them, you know, really linked up well last year. And, you know, you have to remember that with Carles Heel's injury, he he hasn't had that much time um, to play with Adam Buxa. and that might have hurt Uh, A bit in this game as far as their chemistry and as far as their ability to combine because, you know, Bo and and Heal are on the same page a lot, and Buxa almost seems like more of a decoy in this game. You know, he's a guy that we've seen in in the first two games of the season can offer a lot, but I think the Revolution need to find a way to get him more involved because I I don't think they used him enough in this match. Um, I don't think he had a a bad game necessarily, but I just don't think he was as involved as you'd like to see uh, your number nine up top. And, you know, we know what he's capable of, and we didn't see a lot of it in this game just because he didn't see a lot of the ball and again you know you mentioned his key pass the the other thing too was he had that opportunity um to you know put away and and, and score a goal um from gustavo bow and if the pass had been better he probably would have had a goal in this game so that let him down and just overall i don't think the revolution looked enough to find him um, you know in this match and you know use his height and use him as kind of a target man that wasn't really the strategy they ended up playing
1: And the other thing, too, that I'll say is that um, you can just tell, too, from his three shots, all of them from headers off of set pieces uh, and three clearances off of headers that even when a team like Montreal is putting out three center backs uh, and seems really focused on shutting down Adam Buxa, you know, he still has a lot of value on set pieces. I do remember the game up in Montreal. Yeah, I think it was Montreal. He had a very nice header that almost went in um, his first kind of big chance with the Rebs. But in that game also, he, he was held kind of quietly. He he didn't do a whole lot to impact the game, and I think Montreal did a good job of kind of um, playing three in the back or really a five-man back line and, and kind of shutting him down and, and not giving him a whole lot of space to run into it, it might just be a bad matchup. Uh, it might just be a strategy for Harry Henry to kind of keep Adam Bucsa uh, away from the ball. Uh, and it, it certainly works. So I'm going to attribute a little bit to Rust. He, he did have that chance uh, that was set up by uh, Christian Panilla. Uh, that clearly was his best chance of the night. And uh, I'll attribute that to Rust. Uh, I think if you give him a couple more weeks, he's going to latch on to the end of that ball. The Gustavo ball chance, you, you touched on that earlier. It was way too in front for him. Uh, that, that one wasn't, uh, He no one was going to get to that one. So. Um, but I, I still think he's going to score by the end of the group stage. Um, just a little bit of rest and uh, really, really quiet. One more guy I want to touch on to before we get to listener questions was Brandon bai. Um and he technically was a right back, but he played a lot of this game as right wing. Um, Sean, do you have any thoughts on Brandon by?
0: Yeah, it was kind of a interesting way the revolution set up again you talked about it earlier but you know he did play right wing at time it seemed like and kellen rowe at times drifted over to the right wing and uh, Carles heel i think was mostly sort of playing that right wing role but you know cut inside a lot so there was a because brandon by moved out wide so it was it was an interesting kind of fluid setup from the revolution but but you're right a lot of times, Brandon Bye looked more like a right wing or right mid than he did a right back. There were even games or even points of the game where the Revolution had a turnover. Um, and I think if you look at you know Matt Doyle's Twitter, he had a, a video of this where the Revolution had a turnover and you know it's a play that ended up leading to Gustavo Bou's goal. And you know Brandon Bye made no effort to track back; he stayed up front. The Revolution won the ball back. Um, you know he was involved in help creating the space for for Carlos heel and it led to that goal. So it, it seemed to be part of Bruce Arena's strategy. And it, at times, it you know. You know, last year too, we saw it as part of Bruce Arena's strategy that you know he let Brandon Bi stay up there. And again, I think part of that's a product of you know Montreal really wasn't creating much for most of this game, other than kind of that five-minute spell at the start of the second half. They really weren't creating that much which allowed a guy like Brandon by to push forward and stay forward. I, you know, I did think that towards the end of the game, it looked like he was a little bit gassed and could have perhaps used a sub, but you know, overall I thought it was a pretty good game from, from Brandon by, and he did a lot to help the attack. Um, But just, you know, a very interesting way he was used by Bruce arena. And I'm not sure he can be used in every game that way. I think if you come up against a better team with it, you know, stronger attacked on the left flank you'd need more help from brandon by as, as a right back than you got in this game but um for for this game against the montreal impact and for the way bruce arena wanted to play he was very effective
1: yeah, twenty nine for thirty five passing, eighty three percent. Seven for twelve in the attacking third. He was zero for three on crosses in this game. So first game in twenty twenty where Brandon Bye doesn't have a near assist. Um, but he did have five ball recoveries, no times dispossessed, and also on the defensive side of the ball when he was tracking back and he was playing right back. Uh, three for three on tackles, one interception, three clearances, two for two on headed clearances, and three for three on aerial duels. Um, and and I think the Matt Doyle video. If you haven't seen it and you're on Twitter, look up the Matt Doyle video. He does a great explanation. Uh, of what Bruce Arena was doing and kind of pinning Brandon Bye up in that right corner and how it allowed for um, Carly's heel and Gustavo bow to kind of take up those acres of space. Christian Panilla too was at times on the right side as well. The Revs were really kind of playing uh, very fluidly uh, and Montreal really never seemed to adjust those midfielders. Maybe it's because when Yama is, their first game there, and, and maybe they're working on their communication, but um, there were lots and lots of gaps uh, in that Montreal defense last night. The one thing I will say, too, is that Brandon Bay had a very solid night defensively. Montreal kind of attacked DeWan Jones in that first game, uh, and they really went down that left side of the, the Revolution defense. Last night, Montreal had six chances created. Five of them were from that right side uh, that's on ba- Brandon by side of the field, so maybe part of that was Brandon Bay being uh, pushed up, uh, but ultimately, there re- really wasn't anything that came about those chances. Um, I, I think there were a few crosses that came in from Brandeis' side, but overall, Brandby had a really, really good night defensively and offensively um, on both sides of the ball. The only person we haven't really touched upon is Christian Penaia. Do you have any thoughts on Christian Penaia before we move on, uh, Sean? I, I really have nothing to say. He kind of had a man night, um, you know, some good, some bad. Um, he had a really nice uh, one-two play with Carlisle that set up the near Buska goal. Um, there was also a play, I remember, at the end of the game where um, I think Gustavo bow passes him the ball, and he can't really Collected in stride and turns the ball over Um, kind of a hit or miss night from Christian Pena. We're kind of used to at this point Um, Yeah, you have anything? No, I I think
0: I think it was a classic Christian Pena performance and you described it Well, he had, you know, some of those moments where like wow, this is a fantastic player Um, There was that one chance where one of the better chances of the game where he You know had a pretty lengthy dribble and then I think got around two defenders and put off a nice shot on frame but there was that other time, like you said, where there was a, a through ball to him and he kind of tripped over his own feet and, and couldn't get it. And, you know, he was another guy that I, I thought, you know, probably should have been sub sooner and perhaps like gas at the end of the game. But, you know, there was also a point, I think, halfway through the first half where, he, you know, you looked at him and he had the least amount of touches of anybody on the field. Um, so, yeah, there there were moments from him where he looked really good and there are moments from him where he was you know kind of invisible or, you know, tripping up. But, you know, that's what we've come to expect from Christian Pania. I think he's a guy that when he's at his best is capable of, you know, doing some really special things and helping the revolution offense. But, you know, it's it's pretty clear at this point that, you know, the the revolution's three designated players are the leaders of this offense. And Christian Pania is a a good complementary player. But uh, the majority of the offense is is not going to come from him anymore.
1: Yeah, and you're going to get moments of brilliance of them, but, um, 86 minutes of Christian Pena is about 15 minutes too many. Uh, when you have Teal Bunbury, Tayon Buchanan, Justin Rennox all on the bench. Dewan Jones, Dewan Jones could move up. I know he, he came in for Boutner at the 81st minute, but, um, you have options off the bench that can kind of play that spot. Um, if you want to go more defensive, if you need faster, um, you know, I, I think getting towards the end of the game, uh, I don't know. I don't want to see Christian Pena in there. I want to see 70 minutes of Christian Pena. You're going to get two or three really good flashes. You're going to get one or two kind of, you know, you know, total, total mistakes and bumps in the road. Um, but yeah, I don't know. 86 minutes of Christian Pania. I, I hope we don't get Chris, Christian Fania for that long uh, in game two. Uh, now we're going to head into some listener questions. You ready, Sean? I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Dave Aikman asked us, who was your most surprising performance on the game?
0: Yeah, I think for me, it was, it was Alexander Butner. I expected there to be, you know, even more rust than we saw from him. And I thought he performed really well making his debut, you know, coming off long-term injuries and, you know, not getting that much time to train with the team. I, I thought his performance was was really good. And uh, I would I would probably put his as, as most surprising because he just hasn't had the opportunity to play you know, with the Revolution or in MLS before this game um so you know he's on that list and uh you know i thought mancian played better than i would have expected too, given you know his past performances up until he got injured um but bootner would be my choice
1: yeah i had bootner down too um as my most support performance and and also too just coming back from injury um you really don't know what to expect either um i, I think before they signed him there were some questions about his uh, fitness and his effort levels but he really shown in this game last night and uh I think part of it, too, is I just feel the left-back spot for the Revs is just cursed. Uh, So to have Bootner who can uh, swing in a few crosses and contribute both sides of the ball, it's a very welcomed surprise. Um, I'll also give Scott Caldwell uh, as a a very surprising performance in a positive direction. Um, I think Caldwell has made a a big case for him to potentially get some minutes against DC, maybe another start, Uh, and I don't think I would have said that. Uh, before the game either
0: well you you gotta you gotta throw a row in there too when the surprise yeah
1: (laughs) if you had told me Scott Caldwell and Kellen Rowe were playing 90 minutes uh, and they played very well for those 90 minutes too I I would have been very surprised as I say I'm still gonna ding Kellen Rowe for a a couple of uh, bad plays there that could have led to a Montreal goal but overall I I think positive marks for for both central midfielders
0: yeah and just to to jump in on, on Kellen Rowe I think you know Most of us had kind of written him off a bit because, you know, he hadn't been very good the past two seasons and he hadn't been good for the revolution in preseason and he hadn't been anywhere near getting any minutes this year. Um, so I think it was, it was very shocking to see him get a start in this game and then perhaps just as shocking to see him play overall really well. And again, yes, there were one really bad turnover and a second less bad turnover, both of which led to, uh, you know, dangerous chances for Montreal. And, you know, when you're playing in that role, um, turnovers can be you know, really problematic and can can lead to goals and you have to really limit it. And Scott Caldwell um, did really well at limiting them. And Kellen Rowe, other than those two ones, did really well at limiting them. But those were two big mistakes. But, you know, take those away. And it was a good performance from Kellen Rowe. And, uh, you know, other than that, it, it, it was a really good and kind of surprisingly good showing from Kellen on on a
1: related note, while we're talking about these central midfielders, we did get a question from t s b eleven on the Revolution Discord. He asks us how much longer will Bruce stick with Scott Caldwell?
0: Well, I, I guess the question is, and, you know until Matt polster is available to play and he won't be available to play in this tournament, is, you know, who are your options? And I guess your other option really is is Wilfred Zahibo, right? If you know Luis Cassado's out, Polulster is not available. Uh, Well, I guess there's, you know, Diego Fagundes as well. But I think if you're going to play, you have to have at least one of Scott Caldwell or Wilfred Zahibo out there, I think, because I think you need the, the two of them are more defensive minded than your other options. I think one of them needs to be out there. And I think, you know, Scott Caldwell, the way he played in this game, earned another start. And I also think if you're playing against a team where you need, you know, two more defensive guys, then it's going to be Scott Caldwell and Roford Zahibo. So I do think there's going to be games where it's, you know, maybe Zahibo and Fagundes or Zahibo and Rowe, depending on the opponent. But I think Scott Caldwell has, has firmly uh, put himself out there as a guy that, at least matchup dependent, is going to get, you know, fairly regular starts.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to piggyback off of this. I think he starts the next game against uh, D.C. United, and I think... The reason why is because I think the Revs are going to try to clinch next game. DC United doesn't play until I think Monday or Tuesday. I think they play on the 12th, and today is the 10th. So they play three days after the Revs, I think. Don't hold me to it, but they don't play for a while. These these teams aren't playing on the same... Yeah, so the Revs are getting a full week of rest. DC might be the weakest team in the group, although Montreal didn't do a whole lot of favors for themselves yesterday. But, you know, DC is going to have to go up against TFC, which might be the toughest team in the group, uh, and then turn around and and come off of two or three days of rest to play the Revs. The Revs really should put that away. And I I think if they're expecting to have a lot more energy uh, and a lot more composure... I think that this we might see a similar strategy as we saw in the, the Montreal game. So I bet Scott Caldwell starts in the, the DC United game. The Revs go for the jugular and try to put the group stage away before having to face TFC because you don't want to go into that, that match day three um, having to win all three points. And I think Wolfred Zahebo comes in against TFC uh, TFC and, and plays in Game 3 because I think Zahebo is a better option defensively, whereas Caldwell is a better presser, a better passer, a better player who can hold the ball in possession. Uh, and I think that's what Bruce is going to look for in the next match. We have another question here from Cody Hall uh, about these center midfielders. He says, I think Caldwell and Roe needed subs. They looked gas. Any thoughts?
0: Yeah, I think I think both of us were kind of texting each other during the game, kind of the same thing that the two of them looked like they could have used a sub and i mean i think there were a lot of guys in that field that looked like they could have used a sub but you know they hung on and you know maybe that turnover by Rowe towards the end of the game uh part was partly because he was gassed uh but yeah when you, when you have a guy like Wilfred Zahibo on the bench um i was surprised that we didn't see at least one of those two guys come off uh late in the game for a sub because i, I do i do think both of them looked kind of gassed
1: yeah and diego i thought diego for Rowe might have been a good good sub yep. but yep. Um, as i say i think bruce Bruce, when the game is going well, I think he's just kind of holding firm. And I, I'm guessing that's what happened there last night, because as I say, I, I don't know why we didn't see Diego for Rowe a little bit earlier. I don't know why I didn't see Teal for um, Panea earlier, but took all the three points. Who am I to question Bruce, right? Randy LH asks us, how many games till the rust for Buxabo and Heal is kicked off?
0: I think it could just be one. I think we saw towards the end of the game that the rust was starting to be shaken off, and certainly with, with Bo's goal, I think we saw that. So I, I, think, I think by next game, um, it, it's you know, not unfair to expect that uh, all three of them will be sharper than they were.
1: Yeah, and Buxa was the only one that seemed to be a little bit off his game. We already kind of touched upon it, and that might have been matchup dependent, but um, Bo seemed to, to work off the rust. Um, about 50 minutes in or 50 whatever 56 minutes in when he scored his goal Uh, and carly's heel playing his first game in what nine months yeah uh, didn't seem to miss a beat crazy so uh, i i would say buxa uh if we can get him going in the right direction uh, i bet the rust is completely gone 30 minutes into the dc game uh quite revs asks us who would you say is quote unquote back and who isn't quite there yet
0: yeah i think we we touched on a few of them so far and i you know Gustavo Bo is on my list of, despite his goal, not being quite there yet. Carles heel, as you mentioned, I thought was pretty much back, despite the fact he hadn't played a competitive game since last fall. Buxa almost didn't touch the ball enough to, to, to judge too much, but in um, his few touches, I'd say he was still a bit rusty. Christian Panilla, you know, you know, you, you wanna maybe say that he wasn't quite there yet, but also it was, you know, I don't think it was an atypical performance from him, even when he is, you know, fully there. Uh, so yeah, I'm, he's I'm he's, sure he's back. Way. He that's the Christian Panilla we're expecting
1: right. at this point. Right.
0: right. Yeah. Um and, you know, I, I thought Scott Caldwell, you know, pretty much looked back. Again, Kellen Rowe, we haven't seen play in so long. I'm I'm not sure what back is, but I think I think he was probably back unless you wanna say those those turnovers were rust, but I'm not sure that was the case. And you know, the defense overall I thought was back and and certainly Matt Turner you can't knock his performance at all so you know Given that this was four months since the revolution played last played a competitive game You know most of these guys looked a lot sharper than expected but you know again with the caveat that Montreal didn't test them that much Yeah,
1: and actually quite revs out, also asked us another question about any thoughts on Montreal which we, we've kind of already gone into it So I don't want to, uh, you know beat a dead horse on that one but yeah, from a revolution perspective, I don't know if there was anyone who didn't have a bad, well, outside of Buxa, um, I, I think everyone is quote-unquote back. We either got play, uh, performances that met what we expected or greatly exceeded it, uh, somewhere along that scale. Even the guys that came off the bench, um, you know, Henry Kessel had a really, really nice clear on a low cross late in the game. Uh, Teal Bunbury had a very nice run that Carlisle almost slipped him through uh, on a breakaway right on goal that uh, Montreal really kind of made a desperation attempt to, to defend and, and successfully stopped it. But um, Teal Bunbury, in his limited time, uh, seemed to make a little bit of an impact. Um, Tayon Buchanan had a, a couple of nice runs uh, downfield. So um, overall, uh, there you, you really can't ask for much more from any of these guys. The scoreline really doesn't reflect how in control of this game was. Uh, so yeah, I'd say all the teams backed uh, outside of uh, Adam Buchsa. Mike Kennedy asks us, was that our best back for De La Mea didn't put a, wrong, a foot wrong in all night. Good debut for Bootner. Jones coming on, didn't miss a beat at left back. Uh, so, Sean, what do you think about the back four? Do you think that's the best back four we got?
0: No, if, if only for the fact that I'm still not sold on Mancien. Um, you know, I, we've seen enough of him in past games to be skeptical. And again, I don't think Montreal tested him as much as, you know, we're going to see in other games. I think Henry Kessler and Andrew Farrell are both better options at center back than Michael Mancian. Is De La Mea a better option than Kessler or Farrell? You know, I'm not sure. We we went into the game thinking that Mancian was probably the the fourth best center back on the roster and, you know, De La Mea was two or three. I'm not sure my opinion on that has changed this from this one game. Um, You know, I, I do think, you know, we talked about this before. I think Brandon by is, you know, has become good enough where I think he is the revs best option at right back, especially if Andrew Farrell is staying at center back, as I think he should. Um, And I think Alexander Bootner had a a really good game, but um, I'm not ready to declare him, you know, the best option at left back after one game. And, you know, you know, even if this is the revolution's best back four, and you know Alexander Butner and Michael Mancian and even Antonio de La May, you have a lot of questions about durability because all three of those guys have had a lot of injuries in recent years. so it it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. Um, you know I, I, for one, was surprised that Butner in his you know first competitive game in over a year uh, went eighty minutes. Um, I thought that was actually a little bit risky from Bruce Arena to to give a guy like him who's you know again from Europe and now playing in probably one of the hottest games he's played in given where he usually played that um, that was a bit risky. So we'll see how well he recovers going into next week and we'll see if he can keep this up long term against you know better opponents. But um, no, I don't think that was the best back four. I would say the best back four is probably uh, you know you know still. With a question mark on Butner, I'll, I'll say it's Butner, Brandon Bye, and I still think Henry Kessler and Andrew Farrell. So last night didn't change your opinion in the center back depth chart at all. You know, again, I just don't think Montreal tested them enough for me to make a judgment call that it was different from you know what I've seen from you know the past couple years of those guys playing.
1: Fair enough. Uh, we did get a question of Kessler or Mancian versus DC United by Flow from Discord. I assume you are Henry Kessler at this point.
0: Yeah, and who knows if if is even going to be fit enough for that game after, you know, I think he left the game with just a cramp. I don't think we heard it was anything more than that. But still, I, either way, I would say Kessler over Mancian, unless there's some sort of knock on Kessler we don't know about.
1: The one thing I will say about Mancian, and I brought this up before, is that I do think we you have to remember that I don't know if Michael Mancian has really been healthy in over a year, 100% healthy in over a year. And I know his tenure with the Revs has not been great. But, I mean, he pretty much went on the shelf right as Brad Friedel got fired last year. He really has not had a lot of time under Bruce Arena. So I, I do think that I, – I know we're saying he's the fourth-best center back and, and – I don't think there's any controversy in saying that. I think if you pulled every Rebs fan to give their depth chart um, of, of center backs, there's going to be kind of a mixture at three and then Mancien down at four. Um, maybe a few people move Colin Verfuth uh, over uh, Michael Mancien <laughs> at this point, just because how, how much people do not like Man- Man- Michael Mancien. But you, you got to remember, Mike, Michael Mancien, I mean, he left that Dallas game of the season opener last year with an injury. Um, he played on painkillers for a couple, for I think a month there uh, under Brad Friedel. I know he's kind of buried in the depth chart, but I don't know. I, I guess part of me is kind of like, why am I surprised? I mean, he was this big signing coming over from England. He certainly did not earn his big contract, so to speak. Um, but he, he isn't – I'm at the point where I don't know if a fully healthy Michael Mancian is a liability. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, I I get it. But my my logic on there is – Um, there's a lot of excuses you can make for Michael Mancien, but, you know, if you go back and look at the reviews of his play for teams prior to when he came to the revolution, the mistakes he was making with the revolution fit with, you know, the way he was described before he came to the revolution, which makes me kind of skeptical that a a healthy Michael Mancien is automatically going to be, uh, significantly better and step in and be the Revs, you know, number one or number two center back. Fair enough. Um,
1: Cody Hall asked us one more question. He says, why can't we get all the games on NBC Boston or NBC Plus and everyone else gets easy access to games? Also, I think the kind of underlying issue here, uh, besides the terrible broadcast on Twitter, is that for those of us who were watching on Twitter, didn't see the last couple of minutes of that game last night. So, Sean, what are your thoughts about watching this game on Twitter? Uh, Why don't you tell me how good those last two minutes of the game (laughs) were? I know you didn't have the same issues I had. Yeah, I...
0: I'm lucky enough to have a cable package that gets Univision Deporte, so I was able to watch it on TV in Spanish. I could not get the uh, the SAP button to get the English commentary to work, but I did get it on TV, so I did get to see those last two minutes and see everyone holding their breath while well, Matt Turner made that huge save. But you know, I, I think it's a a league contracts issue. I think you know we've seen this for a while now that the league has you know a contract with with Univision where I think some of some of the games they have the exclusive right to both English and Spanish and on those games it can't be on ESPN plus due to the nature of that contract um and it, you know it's it's not great but that's the situation they're in and that's what happened with the revs game and you know but i for one i'm certainly not a fan of having to stream a game on twitter
1: yeah and and to be honest with you Sean i think it's a good thing that you uh you you know had to watch the game in spanish because that twitter podcast was terrible um <laughs> the commentators were bad they pumped in fake uh, noise kind of midway through the first half and drowned out their own commentators. You know, I don't want to give the commentators too much crap because they just, I don't know, they didn't seem very well prepped. I mean, a, a, bad, a bad, there there are some, you know, bad broadcasts and there are bad broadcasts and um, the Twitter stream just going out at the end. I know I said I was going to rant about it. I'm not, I'm a little more calm today. I've I've slept on it. I've taken a deep breath. I'm feeling a little bit better now, but I'm just going to say That, you know, we have Bruce Arena as head coach, we have three designated players, we have a United States men's national team goalkeeper. You know, I I hope that in the future, Major League Soccer starts treating the revolution a little bit better and we get some games on actual national television. That's all I'm going to say. We're no longer a stepping stone. We're no longer a joke. We're going to win this COVID Cup right? I'm fully confident in that, right? We got the best coach in USA history. We got some actual star power on this team. I'm tired of being treated like a joke by Major League Soccer and Don Garber and being (laughs)
0: thrown on Twitter. Hey, hey, You know, maybe part of the reason that game was thrown on Twitter is because of how terrible Montreal is. (laughs) Maybe it wasn't the rest.
1: (laughs) Moving on to some other news uh, before we wrap up here. Matt Polster, that signing is official. Um, Seth and I kind of talked about it last week. Not to brag, we kind of nailed it. Uh, Matt Polster coming in to play defensive midfield, both Matt and Bruce Arena have kind of said that that's where they expect him to play. Sean, since Seth and I are on the record, want to get your thoughts on the, the Matt Polster move.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a extremely exciting signing. It's not going to be a huge game changer for the Revolution, but he is a guy that can play two positions that the Revolution could use some help at in, in this defensive midfield, where it seems like it's probably going to play in right back. Um, so I think it's a good, smart signing for the Revolution. Um, again, he's a guy with you know some injury history, some injury hi- history issues. So um, you know, he need to stay healthy to contribute to the Revs. But um, he was playing really well for the chicago fire before he went over to scotland and you know didn't see much playing time at all partly because of injury and partly because of selection choices um so hopefully he can regain that form he had with chicago and if he does i think he'll be you know a very serviceable player for the revolution i don't think he's that you know number six player that can come in and dominate a game for the Reds but i do think he's one that can be very serviceable and helpful and you know, again, provide more options for the revolution back there. And, you know, if they want somebody a little bit taller than Scott Caldwell or or Luis Caicedo when he's healthy, um, but maybe not quite the Wilfred Zahibo, uh, that Matt Polster could be that guy that, that helps out in that position. Yeah, I kind
1: of see him as an upgrade over um, Scott Caldwell and a, a potential pairing for Wilfred Zebo. I think I said last week that this season he's a pairing for Wilfred Zeebo. And in the off offseason, if Wilfred Zeebo's contract is up or Wilfred Zeebo moves on, um, you know, he certainly is not as tall and doesn't he's not a like for like switch with Wilfred Zeebo that you said. But he's certainly a guy that can uh, play that six role. Uh, as a defensive midfielder, um, I'm going to reiterate, too, I don't see this. I know he can play right back. I know a lot of people have focused on the fact that he's been a right back recently, but I don't see him dethroning Brandon Bay out of that right back spot. And also Andrew can slide over to right back. So I would highly doubt we're going to see him play right back anytime soon for the revolution.
0: I mean, if you have a game where Bruce Arena wants to play a lot more defensive, you know, maybe you see that switch be made here and there. But yeah, overall, I don't think that's going to happen.
1: We did have one more signing there. Uh, Colin Ber- Verfooth, hopefully I'm pronouncing his name correctly, uh, got promoted from Revs 2 to Revs 1 with a uh, MLS contract. So the first player from Revs 2 moved up to uh, the Major League uh, Soccer roster before even playing a game. Sean, uh, any thoughts on Verfooth?
0: Yeah, I mean, again, as you noted, he hasn't played a game, so we haven't had much opportunity to to see him. But I think you know a six foot four center back, and a, a, again, and a Revs team that's lacking height, it's not a bad bad option to have his body on the bench for the Revolution. Um, you know, again, we talked earlier about the Revolution back line, and you know, mentioning the guys like De La Maya, uh, have injury histories. Andrew Farrell, you know, hurt right now is you know supposedly probably going to be ready and. and you know, to go 90 minutes even in the next game, um but you know he didn't get to start this game coming off an injury. So you have a lot of center backs that have had a lot of injuries. It makes sense to add another one to the roster.
1: The one thing I will say here too is is that they must really like him because there's no need, there's no immediate need at center back. They're running four deep with uh, Farrell, Kessler, Delema, and Mancienne. And obviously from yesterday, we we know that uh, De La may and Mancienne are more than serviceable three and fours. They must really like him to lock him down. Uh, for the near future, I do know that Verfuth played for uh, Loudoun United uh, under Richie Williams before he signed with the Revs, too. So they do have a little bit of experience uh, working with him. So um, that's also promising. And as you say, uh, yeah, six foot four. So obviously they really like his height. Um, I-, I did see him listed as a midfielder coming out of college. Maybe he could play as a kind of tall Wilfred zahibo esque ish defensive midfielder but i'm not banking on it he looks like a center back straight through and through and and my guess is we're not going to see a whole lot of him this year with revs one where they they even mentioned in their press release that he's going to be playing uh for revs two so uh, i i think this is a case of you know he'll play revs two this year he'll get promoted to the mls roster next year and kind of be depth uh, in the event michael manstien or tony de la maya leaves at the end of this season one other news item that I did want to bring up today, uh, and this is new news as of this morning, uh, but The Athletic reported that Sporting Kansas City is reporting a new positive test. They arrived on Sunday, and they have been training all week. Uh, I guess since that, since then, since the report came out, Sporting Kansas City confirmed it, uh, but they did say that it's only one player and they will play Sunday. Sean, are you concerned about this?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it can take a couple days for the rest of the team or other players in the team to, to test positive. So you know, you cross your fingers and hope that nobody else caught it. But until, you know, a few days have passed and nobody else has tested positive, you absolutely have to be worried. You know, we've already seen Dallas and Nashville have to pull out of the tournament because so many players on their team had it. Um, you know, there's, there's no question there's guys in the bubble that now have, have it. Um, so it's, it's, it's worrying and, you know, maybe three days from now, uh, everyone will have been tested again and and nobody else will have it and, you know, it'll be okay. But, um, it's, it's still so fresh and, and new that, you know, there's no question that within a couple of days, it's still possible that other players that tested negative now could test positive. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a concern, you know, again, with two teams already gone, uh, you know, you hope that sporting Kansas city is not n- next on the list because th- the more players that get it, the more you question who else in the bubble is going to transmit to. So it's great that, that they've gotten three games in so far. It's great that, you know, a lot of teams have seemed to have, you know, stayed healthy since they've been in the bubble, but Um, anytime a positive test comes up, it, you know, it's, it's worrying. Yeah. And they can't,
1: you cut out two teams. You're still at 24. I feel like they can't shrink this down anymore. I mean, you can't change the schedule mid tournament. I know MLS has basically been doing that. Uh, and they moved Chicago, I think the morning after it started, the the tournament started, but if if every team has played one game or, or if group play has started for most of these teams, you're not going to be able to shuffle teams around, um, just to get through it. The, The one thing that can really derail this tournament is an outbreak within the bubble, uh, and for a Sporting KC player to get it after arriving, certainly he might have brought it into the bubble, uh, but if there's an outbreak among Sporting Kansas City, and if they go out and they play on Sunday and get another team, I, I think that's the only way this tournament kind of goes downhill, and, and we don't see a conclusion to it. So it's certainly very worrying, and you got to hope that um, this is a false positive uh, or it's an isolated case, um, and it doesn't carry over to the rest of the
0: team. Well, yeah, the, the other concerning thing, too, is um, Stefano Forsaro from ESPN reported that uh, Andres Reyes, who was carted off the field um, after a scary injury for Inter-Miami, um, was evaluated at the hospital and released, and then returned to the hotel, um, where he's in isolation because, uh, you know, obviously there's a massive outbreak in Florida, and he was at, you know, a hospital that presumably had tons of people that had it, and apparently they're just waiting until he gets a negative test result fast back before he's out of quarantine and and again you know you can get a negative test the the day after being exposed to it and then test positive the day after that so um i i hope they're being cautious enough about this stuff um especially after what happened with dallas and nashville yeah fingers crossed we want more soccer (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't want to go another
1: 284 days without another victory that'll be quite depressing but sean any final thoughts before we wrap up today
0: yeah, no, it was just great to have soccer back. And if you haven't seen the pictures yet of what they did at Gillette Stadium with cars pulling onto the pitch to to watch the game there, that was that was pretty cool. So you know, hopefully, you know, great performance from the Revolution. Hopefully, they can do it again uh, in a week. I don't have any final thoughts other than.
1: I never want to watch a game over Twitter ever again, and I'll be bitter about missing that save in lifetime for a while. Do you
0: have any thoughts about 9 a.m. weekday games? I was just reading that uh, Toronto FC, before the Revolution game at 9 a.m., has their pregame meal set for 5.30 in the morning. (laughs)
1: interesting you know i don't well and kellen rowe made a comment i think on the far post podcast i don't know where i might be misattributing it but uh he said that they do training at 10 a.m so he says for the players it's not going to be different you just kind of move up everything an hour earlier i know michael michael bradley was really upset about you know whatever waking up at nine waking up earlier or whatever but i I think for the revs it's not going to be too much of an issue so um from that sense i i don't you know, have an issue with it. Um, from my standpoint, I mean, as a neutral observer, I'm not going to be, um, you know, avoiding work to watch the game. It's not like the World Cup. Uh, I'm not going to tune in to see, you know, Miami Philadelphia at 9 a.m. or, or whatever. Uh, but for the Revs, yeah, I'll throw it on a different screen. You know, I'm working from home right now. I can't go to work. You know, so yeah, why not? I don't. I, I don't have any. I don't have any problems with it. If any, and and you know what, truthfully, it's probably better for us. We can watch the game. I'll go back to work, and then we can podcast. You know. <laughs> I'll will t- I'll podcast on my lunch break. Why not? I don't have I don't have any real issue with
0: it. I like the positive spin. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Sean, where can people follow you on Twitter? You can follow me at at Sean Hal and uh, back to posting lots of stats now that we have games going on. <laughs>
1: It did feel, feel good again to uh, kind of follow the Revs hashtag and seeing a lot of people that, um, you know, in the offseason, it's kind of been drawing the same four or five people. Uh, usually I'm one of them uh, posting on the Revs hashtag, but it's really great to, to kind of watch all these comments come in during a game. Uh, it's a lot of fun to have soccer back. But um, you can follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap. And also, please like our Revolution Recap page on Facebook. Please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you are listening. The Revs play next Thursday night against DC United. We will be back next weekend to break it all down again. Until then, thank you everyone for listening and go, Revs.